Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Janet Macboul to discuss everything data when it comes to smart cities. While at the time of the recording, Janet was working as Interim Executive Director at Smart Cities Council for Australia and New Zealand. This was a while ago. <laughs> and now she's Principal Advisory at Ecosystem. I've been curious about smart cities for some time now, and I couldn't believe my luck when Phil, one of the podcast listeners, suggested Janet as a guest. For me, there is no better way to learn about a topic than speaking with an expert. So that's what I did. Hi, Janet. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it properly feels like we are at two different ends of the world uh, with 12 hours, I believe, time difference. So that's a new experience for me. And uh, but thank you so much for joining me so early in the morning and have this conversation. I'm super excited about that because smart city is something I've been curious about for a while now. And now I feel like I have the occasion to learn everything about it. So <laughs> thank you so much. I don't know about everything. But yeah. yeah, it will be <laughs> 20 minutes is probably not enough, but that will definitely give me a good intro to it. Before we get into the topic, could I invite you to introduce yourself, give us a summary of who you are, your role and your responsibilities? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm the executive director across Australia and New Zealand at Smart Cities Council, which is a global organisation with offices in India, Southeast Asia and the US and, and exploring other parts of the world also. But um, I'm actually a qualified accountant, and many people don't know that. Um, so I was an accountant originally and spent uh, a close to a decade in the accounting, finance, fintech space, yeah. So I did that for a while, and then um, with a young family and a move up north in New Zealand, we, we I went to the tertiary education space and started teaching and lecturing and doing small projects um, with the local tertiary provider here. And that involved supervising some computer science students with their work to do um, projects with industry. And then at the tail end of that, IoT London, Alex from IoT London came over here and we talked about launching IoT Waikato here, which Waikato is the province that I live in. And so that was towards about probably 10 years in academia I'd spent by then. And then that got me a role in, um, that got me to Singapore to speak at Marina Bay Sands at IoT World. And that landed me a role as principal advisor across Asia Pacific in IoT and Agritech. That also got me connected to um, the Smart Cities Council, which was celebrated five years in Australia and New Zealand last year. So that got me connected. I think in early 2018, I got involved and then I was announced as the country director for New Zealand in um, January 2020. And then February this year, I took up the role of interim executive director across Australia and New Zealand. But yeah, a lot of people don't know that I'm actually an accountant. But even when I was an accountant, it was all about, you know, if you think about financial figures and and I quickly moved into systems 
with the Y2K bug and testing for the Y2K bug. Bug many listeners probably probably won't even know what that was, but it was pretty major. And and that sort of got me more into the tech side of accounting and finance. And then in that ten years after working for ING Bank, I worked for a um, vehicle finance provider in New Zealand where we profiled customer data and launched the country's first online origination system for vehicle finance and an integrated back end. And so just on that was focused on financial inclusion. Um, and now all my tech work um, in the smart city space is very much around the same thing. So better for people and planet. So when you were telling your story, you mentioned the smart city concept, but I'm very curious to hear about what was the trigger that led you to get into that space? All right. So with the Internet of Things Waikato community and the event that I run, which we, we actually ran the 21st event um, last month, what became really clear for, for our region was that it was a, a focus on what we could do around citizen engagement and what we could do around planning the city better and what we could do around we've got we're a big agricultural center for the country and so a lot of the IOT was being deployed in those areas and so that got me connected to Hamilton City Council which is the fastest growing city in New Zealand and they were launching Smart Hamilton and so I had a conversation with the then leads of Smart Hamilton and I came on board as the Smart Cities Advisor because what I had access to was what all, everyone was experimenting with around the Internet of Things. And the more that they told me about what Smart Hamilton was, which was about smart society and really about the region, not just one city, and about leveraging technology for the same things that I had been hearing about in terms of the um, experimental work that was going on or exploratory work that was going on, um, I thought there was a role there for me to connect what's going on in the wider ecosystem in the region with council that was looking at how they could talk to citizens, engage with citizens and better plan the city and then better deploy technology solutions. And it was really that it, I see, I still see even now smart cities as being that umbrella around where the tech is deployed and the data is, you know, captured and crunched. We talk about um, for the benefit of people and planet. And so people live in spaces, they live in cities, they live in towns, they live in regions, they, they live in, in place. Listening to you and I'm thinking, wow, but when I think of smart cities, I feel the first time I heard the term, I was thinking of this super futuristic city where there was no traffic and everybody was living happily. <laughs> so could you maybe deconstruct a bit what a smart city is and I, I guess kill my vision of this, maybe not kill it, but really make me understand what it is really and What's the plans for, for smart cities? Um, I don't really know, to be honest, where the origins of this came from. But if you look at different examples around the world, I feel like they look at smart differently in different places and parts of the world. And that's why we always we always come back to place. So it's re it needs to be relevant to the place that you're in. So if we look about look at a, a pure definition of smart cities, and you do, you see those images on Google if you search smart cities, and there's a there's a man or a woman at the end of like some some futuristic platform and then they're looking out to this this world that looks honestly like the in, internal wiring of a computer more than it does a place where people could live and thrive and and you and you sort of go is that you know is that a smart city and so smart cities are always been connected with technology and data and we're here today to talk about technology and data so the pure sort of definition that we often refer to at smart cities council is that you know it's the use of information and communications technology to enhance livability workability and sustainability sustainability. 
So, you know, you connect the, you can have all the sensors, they collect data, you have other devices that also pull insights together. They come together and then enable decision making. They come together through um, networks, you know, so there's your infrastructure, your wireless networks, your LoRaWAN networks, your 5G. And then once you have all that information or data, um, then, you know, you analyze it. And as I mentioned, make decisions, but you can also be triggering things back to the physical world. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later in terms of triggering activity and action in the physical world. And so that's a purest definition of, of smart cities. When, um, when I look at it and I think back to my work at Hamilton City Council, it was very much smart society. And so it was about what does the definition of smart look like for people and leveraging people and their insights and their knowledge and engaging with them to um, enable this co-creation and the decision-making was done together and that then um, supported investment and supported action. And then, in fact, the action was also a collaboration and there was a lot of public-private um, collaboration. And so SMART is really a way, of, a way of working. And so we sort of, it's about how does the city work? So how does the city work if the city worked SMART? I guess it's a bit of the, you know, now we're talking about, well, it's not now, we've been talking about it for a while now, the data-driven way of working. So I guess for city and cities and places, smart would be a kind of similar way of working. So as you mentioned, it's working in a smart way to, to achieve a goal. You mentioned places mm-hmm. um, rather than cities. Does that mean that it's not only for big cities? I mean, what are these? I I guess sometimes it has to be frustrating when you hear about all the craziness there is out there when people think about smart cities. But could you help us understand some of the misconceptions around that? Absolutely. Definitely not just for big cities. So um, I'm sure there's plates, parts um, around the world. I remember there was um, from Seat Pleasant in the US, the mayor came to talk at Smart Cities Week in 2019, I think it might have been, or 2018, and he talked about being the the world's littlest smart city, and that was a small small town, really, you would call it. And so it's very much around where people are, um, and that's why we talk about place, and we talk about it could be it could be a campus, it could be a precinct, it could be a city, it could be a town, it could be just part of a region. And so it's really anywhere where there's people and there's planet, you know, so think about the environment. Um, It isn't another misconception is that, you know, it's all about the technology and data. And yes, it's the way. And I talked about smart being a way of working and, and, you know, in today's world and has been for a while now and will be going forwards. Data is the big opportunity, you know, so technology and data together, but data more so. And so, yes, it is about technology in that sense. But it isn't it isn't just about that so the so with hamilton city council for example we were invited by the i think it's the eden institute to apply for the tw- the top 50 smart governments around the world and we came out 21 um, out of 50 and there were over 200 municipalities from the municipalities or cities from around the world that had applied and a lot of what we submitted in the application were things like tactile signs, you know, for, for the vision impaired. It was about um, a project where 
uh, we've replaced the bulbs in the city um, city streetlights with LED bulbs, and that project just on its own was really just about this public-private partnerships. And so that's another misconception is that the city has to has to do it on its own, and it's the remit of you know of city leaders or the local government. And really, it has to be a collaboration. So the LED bulb project, we talked to the museum, we talked to obviously residents in that in um in the city. We also talked to um, the observatory, actually, the local observatory. And, and the reason for that was we wanted to make sure that the lights weren't, weren't impacting, you know, the offering that they had as an observatory in terms of looking at the sky. The museum talked about a, a specific species of bats that might be disturbed. And so we had to work our way around that. And for the residents, it was about not shining too much light into their properties. And so that was one of the key projects that, um, that Smart Hamilton actually delivered. Another one was just a, a space. So we actually just had a space at the public library where citizens could come and talk about their ideas, whether they were technology and data related or not. And it was designed to be at the public library in the city of town, sorry, in the centre of town at the public library so that everyday citizens could engage with this idea. And so it was called um, the Smart Space. And just everyday citizens, young and old, that were coming to the library would pop in and go, well, what's this about? And then we had some interesting ideas like, a hammock that you could hang up underneath trees along um, along roads where the trees then drop their leaves in the in the autumn, and the hammock would catch those, and then the hammock could be emptied, and then the tri- and then obviously the leaves wouldn't hit the ground and make that sort of sludginess after they'd been wet and, and just that slipperiness. <laughs> but you know, in the summer, was that, sorry, was that implemented? No, it wasn't. No, no. But um, and the and the and then the same hammock could be used for recreational purposes, you know. And so, so it was about just that whole idea of of co-creating with citizens. And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't just the council. We had technology solution providers in there. We had the we have a new regional theatre coming in um, Hamilton, and so even the theatre seats were put in there. Three different examples of theatre seats, so that citizens could engage with those, sit in those, and actually decide, you know, which ones they would prefer to come and sit in if they were watching a show at the theatre. So, um, so it wasn't. It's not just technology and data. It's not just for big cities. It takes a, a collaboration with academic institutes, with private organisations, and other public sector organisations, and most importantly, with your with your with your residents, um, and probably the other thing is that it's not about the future. So smart cities are here and right now and have been for a while. And you know, even the idea of putting a traffic light up in that in a in an at an intersection at the time was considered a smart you know a smart move for a city. So if you think about how long that uh, that was, how long ago that was. So it's not a futuristic concept. It's just the way that a city can work better and operate better. And um, I guess offer services better in a smart way and the better being about being smart. So now that you're mentioning it, I'm thinking of so many different examples I've seen in my in my area. Some working better than others, obviously, yeah. but I guess <laughs> I guess it's all about testing, trying things and finding the the best way of doing something. Uh, but I love your example about changing the lights and all the different people you had to to talk with to make that happen. So I I was thinking, oh my God, if these lights are stopping the observatory from seeing the sky clearly, that would be so sad. I absolutely love stargazing. Ah. 
But yeah, so you mentioned the importance of data a few times mm-hmm. uh, and technology as an enabler for smart cities. Um, so smart cities is the way of working, but data and technology actually enables it and plays an important part into that. So could you maybe tell us how how smart city players are using data today? Absolutely. So I alluded to it just before in terms of how we see data at Smart Cities Council and how we talk about data and the role of data in smart cities. So it's really three things. We collect data, we communicate data, and then we crunch data. And so collecting data is sensors. So, you know, measuring your, your electricity use, your gas use, water use, measuring the quality of water measuring um, or having a look at sensors around traffic signals to understand what the flow of traffic is to monitor congestion and better manage congestion the you know the weather stations if you just think about just weather stations informing decision makers around whether they need to do x y or z in terms of the coming together of, of different forces in terms of the weather and the impact it might have on an activity and then even if you think about and you know obviously with permission you know and we'll talk about this a bit later is you know, even the devices, I've got a smartwatch, I don't know if you have one, but many people have devices that actually are collecting data. And so even, you know, with the permission of those users, that can be um, a number of different facets of what's going on in a city, town or region brought together from, you know, not not city assets. This is not a city asset um, collecting data. This is actually your citizens collecting data and sharing it back to the city the same way that a city should share data to the citizens. And so that's the collecting of data. Um, the communicating of data is, you know, I talked about 5G, it could be a wired network, it could be a wireless network. And really, it's about getting the data to where it needs to go, and whether that's interoperable data between devices, so a device and a device talking to each other, or whether it's about, you know, getting that data to the cloud, or whether that device is about getting it elsewhere, sorry, the connectivity is about getting it elsewhere. And then if you think about crunching data, there's an interoperable element there as well. So the data needs to be, you know, comparable. And then you need to be able to run advanced analytics over that. And if you think about the data, it's big data, isn't it? It's not necessarily, you know, it is a huge amount of data, which people interpret big data to be being huge. But actually, big data is essentially different types of data. So it's actually data that could be images from CCTV. It could be data that's, um, you know, water quality data. So that's when you need the advanced analytics um, in order to enable better decisions. It actually sounds quite overwhelming in terms of the amount of different data points you you could potentially connect. And I'm curious to hear about how do you choose which data to look at? Is it based on a specific project? And do you keep that data for after the project has been launched? Or how does it work? Yeah, that's really interesting. And so a lot of people don't don't consider that element. They're all, it's, we've, in our conversations, we find it's very much, we've got a lot of data, what could we do with it? We don't have enough data, we feel we need to go and get more data. But really, you just need to, um, it's not about what you can do with it first, it's actually what data do you have? So you need to understand the data that you have then you need to understand what data leadership is. So it's not just about the fact that you have data or could get data and do something with it. There's a responsibility in there. There's very much a responsibility. Um, And so we talk about the data leadership vitals, which is purpose, privacy, security, 
ethics and governance if you don't think about the purpose of the data so going back to your point about is it about a project is it about a specific thing that you're trying to enable is it something that you're trying to deliver you absolutely do you need to think about the purpose otherwise your data really risks being um, of little value because you haven't thought that through and it really it needs to be transparent and you need to have trust enabled there so you need to be conversing what this is why we need your data this is why we need it for this long this is what we're going to do with it so you need to understand purpose the next one is privacy and so that's really about you know this is a non-negotiable this needs to be by design privacy by design right from the outset so it's about a culture in your organization that understands that the data has come from different sources and really it's there for a purpose which you've already communicated and so you need to be just using the data for that reason and not sharing it outside of that without permission and then also within that there'll be permissions as well so in New Zealand indigenous data sovereignty you know is a big element that needs to be considered when it comes to data and so there's there's rules around how long you can have the data for um, what you can use it for, and then also when how a, the source of data can actually then pull that data back if they if they want to remove it from whatever application it's been used for. Then security is that responsibility around your architecture and your infrastructure. So, in the sense of data sovereignty, you might also need to be providing federated data models, and so you need to think about keeping data separate but bringing data together for the purposes of a decision. And then being able to separate it back out again. And we've talked to, you know, um, people, you'll hear about anonymized data. So what does that look like? So the security element needs to needs to take responsibility of ensuring whatever you've agreed to is then kept secure. And there isn't an opportunity for someone to then, for example, infiltrate that and then do something different with it than you've agreed to and that you've promised. And that's that sort of real leadership element again. And so the infrastructure has to enable that as well. So all the way down to a device on the edge. To, a, to some large infrastructure, to wherever the sensors are, to the way that you're communicating the data, to the way that you're storing the data. It needs to be baked in. The other two elements are ethics. So every decision that you make to do with data needs to, needs to consider ethics. So again, it's the purpose of the data. It's what data is being collected, how it should and should not be used is a really important element and who should and shouldn't have access to it as well. So this is this will vary depending on sort of, I guess, what projects um, and, and for what purpose. But so some will be a bit more, you know, a higher ethical requirement and some so not so much depending on what the project or what the data is and the source of the data. The last one is governance, which is sort of an overarching theme. So this is a set of arrangements that's been put in place across the organization, but also your stakeholders. So wherever the data is coming from and whoever takes responsibility for communicating the data and obviously your your structure around ensuring that decisions around the data are not at a point in time, but it's like a, you're managing this relationship of collecting, communicating and crunching data. And so it's a it's a living thing, really. And so the governance structure needs to support that. And so it's about roles and responsibilities. It's about skills and ensuring everyone's kept informed. Um, it's ensuring that skills down to data literacy of, of even your residents um, is in place. So they're actually understanding what they're signing up for or what they're giving away their, their data for. And it's it's really, if you don't manage data well, it can very quickly become a liability. And so a data strategy is really, really crucial. Um, and then if you get those elements right around data leadership and everything that I've talked about, then data really can can be quite powerful and, and enable quite a lot to happen. And then you'll see successful projects from around the world 
yeah, a number of successful projects where data has been leveraged and it's been leveraged correctly. Yeah, I bet it does. Uh, it can be. I bet it can be very powerful. And I'm thinking, oh, how much work <laughs> this has to be because making sure that privacy is respected and ethic and then all the governance thing. And you mentioned also ensuring the data literacy of the resident. And I'm thinking in one organization that's already hard enough to make so to do so. Imagine on such a, even if it's a small place, as you mentioned, it's still bigger than one organization. And the number of stakeholders you might have had is hmm. is crazy. You mentioned uh, a few successful projects that happened around the world that leverage data. Could you share one example yeah. with us? Absolutely. Um, and just, just sort of quickly on that stakeholder one, that's why the remit of Smart City is about collaboration. Like you really do it in its in the way that it needs to be done without that wider collaboration. So I think I'll talk about obviously Australia, New Zealand, but and these two examples, I've talked a little bit about the Hamilton City Council from New Zealand, but the two examples I have are from Australia. So one from the surface, quite a simple one. So the city of Gold Coast. So this is the sixth largest, fifth or sixth largest city um, in Australia. There's about 600 around between 640, maybe 660,000 people. It's a tourist destination. Um, there is quite a lot of diversity around who's there and at what time of the year they're there and what they're there for. And in fact, almost, I think it's one in three residents are actually born overseas. So if you can imagine this sort of um, just south of Brisbane, so this is in Queensland in Australia. So they've launched Digital City as a program and this their ambition is actually be, to be Australia's leading digital city and there are four projects or work streams there so data gathering data transmission data analysis and then specific elements that they would then use that sort of culmination of data for so one of the projects is the city of gold coast portal so it's a data portal so this is where they've made their gis data available to the public so they can view it they can map it they can um you know have a look at it in different ways they can chart it they can download it they can share it so this one enables citizens for example to create applications it enables research programs for the academic institutions to have access to the data new startups are leveraging the data to actually deliver new products and services and obviously it also assists with improving government service delivery so from the outset that looks you know, there's a whole lot of data that the city has. They've made it available through a website, but really they needed to consider those data leadership vitals and make sure that they're actually complying to those rules, but also that the architecture enables other people that are using that data and accessing that data and connecting to that data to also understand their data res data leadership responsibilities. And so it's actually quite a, a large undertaking for the for the council. And so in other parts of the country, for example, I've seen things like this being used to make available information on the, the allergen levels at a park so that families can make better decisions about which park they should take their children to. So there's things like that, as simple as that. They could be understanding which parts of the city are hotter than other parts of the city. So, for example, a person that's planning their cycle commute um, could actually be going in different directions depending on you know how cool the city is in this part of the, this how cool this part of the city is at different times. That's one that people would say is is quite simple, and it is more simple compared to the other one, which I'll talk about. And the the second one is Lake Macquarie City Council, which is a, just north of Sydney. So this is in New South Wales now. So this one, the council also has um, a smart cities, I guess, um, value proposition. 
and they have an IoT network, they have um, Insight Sensors program, they have a Fiber City program, and they have a Smart Beaches program. They're also part, actually, of the Digital Twin Challenge that the Smart Cities Council launched last year. So one of the things that they're exploring with a team there is the application of Digital Twin for exploring how city planning and urban design processes can be um, optimised. So the focus there is having a look at strategic planning around housing supply. It could be around transport networks. It could be, as I mentioned, around heat island effects, so reducing that. It could be around homelessness strategies. It's around urban design for precincts, for campuses, um, for parks. And so they're really leveraging the potential of a digital twin which is a whole lot more complex than just making your data available through a website. And that's a project that will be releasing their resources and their findings later in in 2022. But really, it's for for that council specifically as part of that team, it's around how does a traditional precinct plan processes, how does the planning processes for a traditional precinct intersect with a digital twin? And so they have identified Morissette which is one of their sort of, I think it's a suburb, and it surrounds as a strategic growth area. And so they're looking at how they can leverage Digital Twin to better manage and plan uh, future growth of that place. That's, uh, that's really fascinating. And I remember attending a, a workshop recently that was around how can a council tackle homelessness. So it's good to actually see. So it was all, we were just all brainstorming about how to do that and all these things, but it's good to see that actually these are things that are being addressed through smart cities using data. That's really great. Um, To close the episode, I would like to ask you a question. So you had a choice between two questions and the question you chose was what you're learning at the moment or are interested in learning about? I'm learning at the moment how to balance life. So I know that sounds <laughs> non-techy, um, but if you think about all your different priorities in life, so your spiritual self and then your productive self at work and then yourself, you know, as a member of your family and then yourself as a person in, their, in your own right, I'm really learning about how to balance that and so balance it in the sense of thriving, you know, as a human being. But on a technology and data front, actually, I listen to um, a number of podcasts. Um, one of the podcasts that I listen to is actually Women in Data. Um, I also listen to Smart Cities Chronicles, which is our own podcast from Smart Cities Council, but also ones on Digital Twin because I do we do really see the opportunities around Digital Twin going forwards. And so really there's the balance between learning about emerging technology and AI, conversations about AI. I often tune into different presenters around artificial intelligence and just to sort of see where that is around predictive but also prescriptive text. Um, sorry, prospective, predictive and prescriptive data science. Um, and so that's really interesting to hear different views from around the world. We're in New Zealand. We're like at the bottom of the world in one corner. Um, so it's always good to sort of just hear what's going on around the world in terms of technology. But, yeah, definitely balancing myself as an individual between all the different priorities that life throws at you and then... Um, yeah, technology, just having a, having a think about the latest technology because I can do that and you can do that and we're well-informed and can be even more informed, but there are a lot, of, a lot of people in the world 
that don't have that opportunity. And so one of the responsibilities that I take quite seriously is that we need inclusive innovation um, for smart cities, towns and regions. And so the more opinions and thoughts I can get around technology and its its benefits, but also the things that you need to be wary of when it comes to technology um, and also good examples of where citizens have engaged with technology and, and, and where there's been efforts made to bring everybody along on the conversation when it comes to technology and data. Um, I like to be able to then, you know, share that with my colleagues and share that with our members at Smart Cities Council Australia and New Zealand to ensure that we're really developing and building and designing smart cities, towns and regions for, for everyone. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And learning how to balance priorities is also something I am learning myself. So if you find the answer, feel free to share. Okay, all right. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Janet. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. It's great to be here and it was a great conversation. So thank you. It was. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.